0: Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Um, you guys are just a talky bunch tonight, eh? It's like a family, look at this, this is cool. I didn't know the Sunday night crowd was so family. It's familial. This is awesome, that's cool. Now I gotta tell you real quick, um, Chuck's at a wedding tonight, doing a wedding and marrying off another couple. This is like his 518th wedding. And uh, no, I really am, I'm trying to make a run for him and catch him, I've done four. So it'll be a while. But I had to tell you on the way in, this has nothing to do with the message tonight at all. Um, on the way in, I actually had something really crazy happen. I'm driving, it's raining, and I'm in one lane, and all of a sudden out of the, the trees above me fall this little, um, this little tussle of feathers. And it's two big pigeons, and these two big pigeons are they're either mating or they're fighting. You, can, you can't tell. The problem was as I swerved, one of the pigeons just didn't move in time, and I hit, I smack into that, yeah, I see all the, the PETA people here, you know? And I, and I smack into that guy, and I don't know why I told you that, but it was life-changing for me. I the rest of the drive, I'm just sitting there thinking, what just happened, you know, what's going on? But it does prove that in moments of passion, you know, anger or love, you know, you gotta be careful, so <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Like I said, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But uh, you know, I was, I was sitting here thinking, you know, what would be the one thing, and this is the way I actually thought, what would be the one thing, if I had one Sunday night with you guys that I'd wanna tell you? The one thing, the single most important thing in this world, and I thought, okay, and I started narrowing it down, we started talking in creative team, and Chuck and I began talking, and we decided we came to this one issue, and I'm just gonna line it up for you. The reality is whether you come in here and you're new to Christ, or you've been with him a long time, you know there are times that you don't feel that close to him. You know there are times where you feel like your gift is not being used. You know that you want to do something great for the kingdom, but you just quite, you don't feel like you're doing it. You know, a short-term missions trip, perhaps. Then there's those times where you know, maybe you guys are on fire for the Lord, but you know if you were to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit, even more amazing things would happen. And so here's what we began wrestling with. Out of all of that, what's the single most important thing you can tell a group of on fire people who want to serve the Lord with all they are? And I'll tell you what we came up with. It comes down to your relationship in community with the rest of the body. Now, here's where it comes from. Remember what Jesus said, this radical announcement when he said, You love God. And what did he say is the second commandment? You love others. And so what I'm going to talk about tonight is if you're sitting here and you're saying, my life doesn't quite have that fulfillment as a believer, or some of you are sitting here saying, I'm new to this church thing, how do I get it? The reality is you do it by stepping out and loving other people. Now, I know you go, Tony, that's like Christianity 101. That's what I learned in Sunday school. I don't care. I'm going to tell you again, right? Now, here's the thing I was thinking. In 1 John, I want you to turn there with me and, and just, you know, real quick jump there, but I... I want to give you the background. Who's ever heard of Gnosticism? Anyone? Okay, good. The Gnostic philosophy was this. And this is what John was writing about in 1 John. A group of people said this. They said, hey, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and we're not going to to kind of be with the church as a whole and the body the way that we wanted to be or the way we were told to be originally. We're going to separate ourselves. But we're going to be a smaller group that's more intellectual and above and actually prizes intellect above virtue. That's what was going on. And when they did this, they would actually not obey the words of Christ anymore. They would not come in full fruition with what he wanted. They would not love and care for people. They would sit in their little rooms, just separate themselves, and go to these crazy philosophical places where they would have intellect and wisdom, and they were completely cerebral, and then they would have, you know, other kind of fun things that no one really talks about that had nothing to do with scripture, which we can get into another time. But the problem with that was that they had left the point completely. Now, here's what I want you to think about. How often in church do we do the same thing? We put ourselves in this Western institutionalized box of church where we come inside of our walls and we worship for how many minutes? 19 and a half minutes, at which time we do announcement time, at which time we then have someone open up and talk to us for 28 28 minutes and 30 seconds. And then we're done and the invitation happens and then we walk out and we live this whole life for a week then we come back and do it all over again. But the victory and the power and the movement of Jesus Christ is so much bigger than that. Now, you'll notice here that Scott did us a great favor this week. Now, don't make fun of me. There's going to be some weird stuff happen tonight. I'm afraid I might fall. But Scott went and found me a real balance beam from a gymnastics center. Scott, thank you so much. This is an amazing balance beam. Now, whoever has tried to balance on one of these? Has anyone ever? It's harder than it looks. I found that out backstage when I was kind of thinking about doing this with you guys tonight. So I'm going to ask just for a little bit of a grace as I try because I'm going to fall a little bit. But I want you to think about this. Instead of us being a bunch of people that constantly put ourselves in an upper room with intellect, with a small group of people who think they're privileged, what happens when we love the brethren? What happens when we truly engage in humanity? The gifts, the change, the passion, the vitality, the life begins to creep in. And we're gonna talk about that tonight. And here's a principle that you actually, if you think about it scientifically, it's true. It's called the principle of requisite variety. That's what it means. Well, that's what it says. What it means is this. Anything that has constant balance, like if you and I are constantly on a floor and we're not moving and nothing's happening to us, eventually dies, right? It's true in relationships. If you have a relationship, husbands and wives, and and your husband comes home and every single night, he treats you the same way, and every single Valentine's Day, he does absolutely nothing for you, and there's no love and no interaction, what happens, ladies? Yeah, I'm about to find out in about a week. And I I just realized right now, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Now think about this. What happens when you're working out? Who's ever worked out and been on the same workout regime for about three, four months? Anyone? And all of a sudden, what happens to your growth curve and your your muscular structure? It kind of plateaus, right? Because the law of requisite variety says this. If you don't institute change and you don't have things constantly moving, the passion, the life, the vitality, the growth begin to fade. Now here's how you know it's true. If I'm 100%, oh, this is really hard. I can't believe I'm doing this, hold on a second, let me just, hold on a second. Now, this is hard, you guys are laughing, you think this is funny, my wife thinks this is really funny. If I'm standing up here, and you know this is true right now, if I try to take a step, you guys are all pretty intrigued right now. I mean, look at your faces, you're all watching the screen, and you're watching me, but what makes this so interesting is the fact that I have disequilibrium. It's the fact that there's a lack of balance here. And guess what? If I'm off of this particular balance beam, I'm back on what? The boring old floor, and you don't care about me anymore. But the fact that I'm up on this balance beam, I'm going to make a turn. Hold on a second here. Stop taking pictures, Radford. Whoa, hold on a second. Okay, now, this right here is interesting because when I start walking and talking, my mind begins to move. But here's what keeps you captured. It's the idea that I could fall off. It's the idea that I could fall down three or four stairs into our beautiful guys here in the front row, and they all have to catch me. And that intrigues you. Because it's different, you don't know what's going to happen, there's a sense of suspense and belief. Do you realize this? Okay, hold on. Meant to do that. Do you realize this? God intended for you to have requisite variety in your life. He actually instituted a way for you to have requisite variety. Now you go, no, Tony, that doesn't make sense. No, he did. I'm going to show you why. You know where he instituted it? You and you and you and you and you all the people around you are what? They're forms of requisite variety. When you engage with people, you ain't gonna get the same thing every time. You're gonna find that there is change. You're gonna find that people throw you off, that there are problems that arise, there are solutions right, but guess what? You're gonna find that you're more alive than you ever were. Community and the church was designed to be in constant interaction and in a constant state of lack of balance. Let's pray. Father, I wanna ask that the next few minutes, Lord, we understand what you have for us. Lord, I know that you have just taken me on this journey this week, and God, I know there's a lot of stuff floating in my head that right now, I don't know if I can lay out to these wonderful people as concisely as I I want to, but Father, I ask right now in this room that Holy Spirit, you begin to move. I pray for every person sitting here, whether they come from a life, Lord, and they're hurting today, Lord, if they come from a life and they just want to go deeper with you and they want to engage in your community, I pray that you will give them the moment and the revelation of your spirit. Father, take every word that I say. Take it from me and make it yours. God, don't even let people see me tonight. I pray that they just feel and know you above all else. And I pray that tonight is a, light, a night of change and a night of reality and a night of hope for so many. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. First John chapter 3. I want you to read with me in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should, what? Love one another. Now look at verse 12. Not as Cain who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised. Now the key here is verse 13. We talk about the lack of balance. We talk about this idea that your life should be changing and moving and love for others creates that. Look at verse 13. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world, what? If the world, what? Okay. Now, hold on to that for a second. He says, don't be taken back. Don't be surprised. Don't let it freak you out when the world hates you. He doesn't say dislikes you. He doesn't say sometimes, you know, holds up a few signs. He says, hate you. That's pretty strong. That is what we call a precarious position. That is a lack of balance. Now, I know most of you say, okay, I understand that a little bit, but Think for a second what it was like. Go all the way back with me to first century. I'm going to grab this stool here, and I'm going to keep talking. So, but go all the way back to first century Rome and think about what was happening in Rome, and Jerusalem, in this moment. This is a crazy time. You know why? People were literally dying constantly for their love of Jesus and their love for the brother. We talk about hate. They were being despised and persecuted. They were being broken and lashed out upon. And John right here says, don't be surprised as it happens. Instead, you keep loving people. And I think our minds, and this is Christian culture, you know, now today in 2009, we actually say, you know, man, ah, it must have been rough. But we don't begin to really grasp what was going on. Every single morning, these men and women would wake up and they would not know if they were going to love the brethren, if they were going to die for it, and we have to come to terms with that. Who remembers Matthew? Matthew, the writer of a gospel. Matthew was Jesus' friend, right? Things were going good. He was with the Lord. He remembers when Jesus went back to heaven. And he said, I will serve you. I will worship you. See you later. And Jesus rises into heaven, says goodbye. What happened to Matthew just a few years later? You remember Matthew was taken to Ethiopia? What did they do? They strung him out on the ground. And a lot of you know how this works. They strung him out on the ground. They took a big sword or a spear, and they shoved it through his heart because he spoke up and loved the brother. Mark, another gospel writer that we all hear about, and you all know him, He's, you know, uh, you know, he was a little bit nervous when he wrote his gospel, and some, or not when he wrote it, but when he was with Jesus. But then there's a time where Mark actually comes to the point in Alexandria where he stands up and says, I will commit and constantly commit my life to Jesus Christ. And they tie him to four different horses and drag him through the city till his body is completely split apart. What about Luke? They take him to Greece and they hang him on a tree and the birds, before he dies, begin to come and pluck out his very eyes. John, of course, we know was boiled in oil. James. James was an amazing man. In Jerusalem, he stood there, and on trial, he got down on one knee, and he said, I am so committed to love of God and love of others, the way, Jesus Christ, my hope, as he stood there that a Roman officer who was chained to him in guard actually walked with him to his place of execution, and we didn't find out until later that he was so moved that when the judge walked up, that Roman officer stopped. And he got down on one knee and he said to the judge, I too have accepted this very Jesus of this man. If you kill him, you must kill me also. That is a man who is passionate and moved by a love for God and a love for brethren. But guess what? It's an unbalanced life. It's a precarious life. It's a scary life. Polycarp, at 86 years old, was sitting there as the fire began to eat away as he was martyred and he said, I will never deny him. For 86 years, my king has been good to me. I will never turn my back on him. What about Felicitas, a woman, eight months pregnant, and they stuck her in the Colosseum and began to ran her up and down and began to run her through lions and through boars and through bears. And then all of a sudden one of the guards realized she wasn't dying and so he walked up and began to whip the child within her womb over and over and over until she watched her baby die and eventually died herself. Why? Because she would not say no to Jesus Christ, love of God and love of others. That my friends is a precarious and unbalanced position to be in. That is when John says, You must love the brethren, and don't be surprised if the world might hate you. But here's what I want you to think for a second. Imagine the strength of community. If you're a little 12-year-old child, and you're sitting in the corner in first century Rome, and your dad has accepted this thing called the way, a little sect that no one knows about, And you heard the meetings at night and he told you he knew about this new man named Jesus who had changed everything. And all of a sudden one night you hear the rap on the door and you sit there and cry as you hear the Roman guards walk up and begin to take your dad in chains away. He kneels down with you for a split second and at 12 years old he looks you in the eye and he says, son, you might not see me again, but you must remember that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the life giver. And this little boy named Alexander or Erostus or whatever his name was would sit there and cry as his dad was taken off for something that at that point he yet could barely understand. But imagine the bond of strength when all of a sudden in the night people begin to show up from the church. And then his mom gathers and cries, and everyone sits in a room, and what do they do? They begin to pray together and cry together, knowing that that dad was going to be in the Colosseum the next day for the lions. What about this? Imagine the cells. If I ever have the opportunity to write a book, this is what I'm going to title it, Imagine When the Cell Empties. Because imagine underneath the Colosseum at Rome, before men would go die, you talk about community and the strength of community and the bond that we have as a church, If you're ultimately precarious and ultimately unbalanced and you don't know what the next day will hold, imagine the bond that happens in the middle of the Colosseum when underneath every day at 3 p.m. you hear the crowds roar. You hear the crowds roar, but then underneath down through the cells, every single day, one by one, a cell empties, a brother that you knew, someone that you loved, all the way to the guy next to you who you cried with and prayed with the very day at 2 p.m. The Roman guards come grab him. You grab his arm through there and you say, brother, it's gonna be okay, and he stands up with a a look of resolve, knowing in that moment that he would stand and die for Christ, and you sit there in your cell, waiting for your turn tomorrow, as outside you hear the crowds roar and erupt as this man was taken away. Imagine the bond and the strength of communion in that unbalanced and precarious position. That is requisite variety because it's love for the brethren that makes a community so strong and brilliant. When you walked in this room tonight, you have to understand that you're no longer alone you got to understand that you don't sit in a seat and look at me one-on-one. You sit next to people who, if people were to come in with guns blazing, they would be ready to die for you and die for Christ because they stand as faithful servants of the Most High, but they also stand as your brother in Christ, your brother in arms, a fellow soldier, and there is strength in that community. There is strength in that bond. It is a precarious, unbalanced situation, and in some other countries right now, people are struggling for it. They are dying for it, and we need to go be their brothers and sisters in Christ, but you got to understand, if it ever hits America, we've got to be ready to do the same thing. I want you to look at one other thing with me. Look at 1 John, but look at, look at chapter 3. Look down at verse 14. Not only does community equal strength, community, this unbalanced position of love for each other, when I'm actually willing to step out, it equals joy. It equals joy. Now, I know you say, Tony, how can we be ready to die for Christ and each other, but have joy? Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brother. Now, let's just read that again, because I know for me, it, I, I, I gloss over it a lot. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Now, what John's saying here is that our love for others allows us to see our own hope. It allows us to see our own future. It allows us to see um, our life. And I want you to picture this. When I get down and I serve someone who's, who's poor, When I stand here and I get to pray with someone who's hurting, when I use my spiritual gift and I step up and I begin to do great things in the name of the Lord and I interact with my brother in Christ, do you realize what's happening here? I now have this crazy supernatural type thermometer of where my perspective and where my life is with God. Now you say, Tony, that's just not true. No, it is. I'll tell you, have you ever been hurting and like thought, I don't want to go to church today? Has anyone ever done that? I just want to stay home and I'll be okay. What happens when you go to church? You get excited again, because you're engaged in community. What happens when you're hurting and you go hide in a room by yourself? You go from depression, what, to clinical depression to I want to commit suicide. But what happens when a friend comes over and you realize your life isn't all that bad, there are other hurting people. What happens when you engage with someone and pray and find out that there's a hurting or starving kid in Kenya and you realize you do have food on the table even despite a hard economy? All of a sudden, the spiritual thermometer awakens. There is something that happens when we birth when we birth relationship, because we go, whoa, there's so much more. It's not just about me. Now, right now, you're saying, Tony, that's not true. I'm an introvert and I like being alone. Okay, I'll challenge you on this. How much fun? Now let's just say. Now we know that the Steelers are horrible and they could win eight Super Bowls and it wouldn't matter, <laughs> because the Cardinals should have just anyway. Anyway, but, we watched the Pro Bowl today, but anyway, Lakers won. That's all that matters. But think about this for a second. You go to the Super Bowl. You walk in, and this time, Larry Fitzgerald runs, Steelers don't score, it's an amazing moment. The crowd erupts and goes crazy. Let's say that Holmes actually does make the catch, it's a beautiful moment, but you're by yourself. Picture it for a second. It's the biggest pinnacle moment in human history for this year, and all of a sudden, you look around and go, yay! That's no fun, that's called practice. What about this? What would be the fun of going on a honeymoon alone? <laughs> you guys, sorry. <laughs> For a second, you're like, I mean, you, can you picture that? You know, it's like, how you doing? <laughs> hey, pretty good. How about you? I mean, what do you do? It's, like, it's just weird. Now, I'm going to really go even a step farther. Think about this. What's the movement and the passion and the vitality, just be honest, Of going on a, um, of going to heaven by yourself? Now, I know all the super theologians right now say this. You sit here and you go, well, Tony, it would be fine because I worship Jesus, he's my God, everything's fine, tears are wiped away, okay, I understand. But do you realize that every single time when heaven is mentioned, go to Revelation 19, look at the marriage feast, it's always plural. Those there are a group of elders, there are heavenly angels and multitudes praising God, and you're going to stand there with the patriarchs and Moses and David and every single one of your brothers and sisters who who have lived and died for Christ, and we're going to sit there together and worship, and it makes it exciting and passionate. That's why he called it a feast. Heaven by nature is a throng of worship. It is exciting. Now, If we're talking about birth and relationship, I got to be honest, some of us immediately go to this idea of conception. Now I know, and I want you to focus for a second on the moment of conception. If you're sitting here saying, Tony, I want the unbalanced life. I want to engage. I want something precarious, right? I want change and I want to be with people. It's going to have to be birthed somewhere. Now conception is an interesting thing, right? 23 chromosomes and 23 chromosomes come together and make this little single cell. Pretty beautiful. And and if you think about it for a moment, I think it's a pretty cool thing. But then all of a sudden, four weeks later, there's this little heart that begins to kind of take over. The thump, the thump, the thump, the thump. And then there's this little baby in there that five weeks later has these little arms. And he's wiggling them around. And then there's organs about seven weeks that begin to develop. It's a pretty beautiful thing, conception. God designed it. All the DNA and the code in that single cell, the genetic structure begin to blossom. And the cells begin to divide. And it becomes this little beautiful baby. Now, how many parents do we have in here? A lot? Whenever I hold little Ethan or little Peyton, I have this natural tendency, and I don't know, maybe you guys do too. I hold them, and I, and I rock them, or I, I sing to them at night, and I pray these prayers, and I don't know, maybe you guys do it too. What happens? You begin dreaming about who they're going to be, right? Right? Oh my gosh, Ethan, I pray for your courage, buddy, and I'm holding him and I'm thinking you're going to have this legacy and you're going to be the next great president of the United States or you're going to be a fireman that saves lives or you're going to be a football player, buddy, with your big head. (laughs) It's true. He's a weak character. And then sometimes I hold little baby Peyton, little loppy poppy bear with her big eyes, and she's innocent. And what do I pray for? Her purity. But I immediately go and I start thinking about her legacy and who she's going to be and the man she's going to marry and all of the wonderful things she's going to accomplish and do. And I think, whoa, this is exciting. As parents, we can't help but do that. We tend to live a lot of times through our kids. Do you realize that who Ethan and Peyton become, the legacy, the finish, the adventure, the passion, the life? a huge percentage of it actually started way back here at that very single moment of conception. Have you ever thought about that? Now you sit here and you go, Tony, what does it have to do with relationships and living a precarious, unbalanced life in the Lord where I'm with people? A lot of you guys are in store for the biggest adventure and legacy and passionate movement of your life, but here's the thing, it all starts with a single cell moment of relationship there's gonna be a moment where you're gonna actually walk up to that person that you see hurting that woman and you're gonna say can I pray for you you don't realize that your best friend was right there some of you guys are gonna to walk to skid row and you're gonna feed the poor not realizing that out of that God's gonna blossom you into a mission field you don't realize that when you sit there and actually sit in the decision counseling room and cry with somebody that God is building inside of you a passion to change the world. If Billy Graham had never have knelt beside his bedside with a friend and prayed to change the world, 250 million people so many years later would never have heard the gospel. If Chuck Boer had not sat sometimes at a camp and had a counselor talk to him and pray with him and then go and begin working with that second grade little class of children, we would not have the crossroads that we have today. There is a moment where God wants to birth something incredible within you. He wants to awaken a desire, but it starts with a moment of relationship where you jump on this balance beam and you say, God, I'm ready for some change. I'm gonna love the brother and I'm gonna be with people. You use me where you wanna use me, take me where you wanna go, and then the world can be changed through your gifting and through your passion. I am um, Sometimes it's true too that uh, it is hard when you realize you know, no one knows your name and it can be a really frustrating thing. In fact, I went through that this last week and we wanted to show you just how harmful it can be. I'm excited because today I get to see just how many people really know who Tony Wood is. Let's go. Hi. Hey, do you guys know? You have to know. Do you guys by chance know? Can I ask all of you guys a question? You know, have you all have y'all heard of Tony Wood? Tony Wood, Tony Wood. Do you by chance know who Tony Wood is? Tony Wood? No, I do not. Tony no. <laughs> man. Awesome. Yeah. Really? It's Tiger Woods. Tiger Wood, they do Tiger. Oh, absolutely. She really, who is he? Uh nobody. He's a pretty neat guy. Like he's really cool. He's he's uh he's kinda tall. Yeah, Tony Wood. Yeah. Um Shaped head like yours? That's, yeah. the, that's that one guy down the street, right? That guy, yeah. See? That's See? Yeah, All right. Just so down he street. has no clue who Tony Um Got a pretty good smile, kind of like a little facial hair uh-huh. sometimes. You or what? Yeah, he's going to give you a hug, man. Uh, uh, yeah! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he knows He figured it out. <laughs> I love you. Hey, How are you. He's on. We just needed two tickets for Tony Wood. Uh, there's no movie here named Tony Wood. At 7 There's no. Tony Wood. I know deep down in my heart this is my moment. Does anyone know? Anyone? Who Tony Wood is? You really? Even deep down? Even you don't, deep Do you deep want deep. to know who Tony Wood is? Oh, you sure. don't want to know? Okay. you're. Come on. It's okay. <laughs> Just so you know, I am Tony Wood and you hurt my feelings. Oh. Thank, thank oh. you. That's right. <laughs> That's I, I don't even know why they made me do that, but that was for Generate, and we thought it was so fun, we'd show it to you guys, and it, and it kind of fit, but um, listen, if, we're, if you're sitting here right now, and you're saying, you know, Tony, I really do want that, and I don't want to be alone. You are more, you've never been more loved than you are. You're in a place where you do have friends and family and community, but God's expecting you to do what? To get up off your seat and begin loving other people. You've got a birth relationship. Not only does community have strength, but community has joy. But there's one last thing that makes it all worthwhile. Look at this last verse, community equals purpose. Look what it says in verse 17. That would be my fault. Verse 17 says, whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him. Watch, watch what this says, hold on a second. Let, let, just take a second and think about this. Let us soak in. How does the love of God abide in him? Oh, hold on, just think, it. stop for a second. He closes his heart against him. Read it again. How does the love of God abide in him? Look at verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. There is a cultural issue in America, and I'm going to say in churches sometimes, where we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk about love. But it is a lot more rare that we do love. It is a lot more rare that we strike out. I'll tell you, God put this on my heart this week because I, I think I have bottlenecked myself, like we talked about earlier, into these buildings, into this structure. I cannot stand the fact that we keep talking. I mean, I love it. It's amazing that God has thousands of, of Gen- Generate kids, students and young adults coming. But here's the thing that burdened me this week. I realized this last week that as I walked in, I went outside and walked around the building before Generate, and everyone's in the building and they're worshiping, and I realized this. There are hundreds of kids over in that skate park over there. And somehow I got bottlenecked up into this Western understanding of church structure where we come in for the program and I'm okay with that. Meanwhile, 100 yards away, we have kids that are going to go to hell and not be loved and not hear the word of Jesus Christ. And to me, that began to eat up and it began to tear at me. Here's why. If I'm going to take our ministry on Wednesday nights and I'm going to tell everyone, you guys, we're going to change the world. But I'm afraid to get off my seat and walk 100 yards to a skate park then I have lied to myself. It is word. It is not deed. And it has burdened me and just destroyed me for five days when God showed it to me. What he says right here is stop talking about love and start doing it. Go engage. You're going to have strength when persecution comes. You're going to have joy inside from it, but you're going to have purpose like you couldn't have imagined. See, the thing is, when I'm on a beam, when I'm standing up here, all of a sudden things get a little scary. But guess what? My senses begin to sharpen. I am more aware now than I was just 3 seconds ago about what I'm saying to you, about what I'm doing with balance, and about this. When I try to jump right now and turn, I might fall or not. That was wonderful. But I guess what? I'm feeling things and sensing things and things are moving. Do you realize that that is what God wants inside of us all the time when it comes to faith and understanding him? He says, "I don't want you to take life for granted." I don't want you to get up in the morning and kind of go, ho-hum, when your senses are sharpened to the word and because of other people and there is a sense of precarious unbalance in your life, a disequilibrium, all of a sudden you don't take anything for granted. You see the kids in Kenya who are hurting. You see the people in your community who do not know Jesus at a skate park. You realize that woman sitting in this congregation right now that even beside you is crying because your senses have been sharpened to the call of Jesus Christ. And he says, wake up, wake up, enough of your little life. Go love, let the love of God spur through you and change the kingdom, change the world for the kingdom. The craziest thing about it is what we don't realize is, is that all of this started 2,000 years ago with a beam a little bit wider than this. It's called the patibulum, it's the cross beam that Jesus Christ hung on 2,000 years ago. It's the ultimate beam of imbalance. The ultimate beam of a precarious person because he stepped out and said, you do what you want to me. I have more love than you can imagine for everyone else. And then he said these words, and you've all heard them before on the cross. Before he died, he said, it is finished. And a lot of times we don't think what was finished. What was it that he finished? Do you know what finished? He finished separation from God. He said, you now have the biggest community, the biggest family, the greatest body this world has ever seen. He said, the days of you feeling lonely, the days of you feeling downtrodden, the days of you feeling like you have to live in a perfect little box are dead done if you step out in me you're going to experience love like you could never have imagined but unfortunately in a room this big there's a lot of us sitting here right now who have never truly come to understand that love that jesus gave us so that we could love others it's foreign and even right now sitting in here you feel sterile you feel cold he hung on a beam so that you wouldn't have to feel that way ever again. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you for the honesty of this evening together. Lord, right now I pray for every person that's sitting in this room. God, I ask that you begin to just place your spirit inside of them, that you begin to fill them But most of all, God, I want to pray for everyone sitting here that if they're real honest, they know they've never truly been involved in that community. Lord, if things were to get hard, they they realize they don't know if they'd be able to sit in the cell and hold their head up high and die for you because they don't have the strength. Lord, they realize they don't have the joy because they've never birthed relationships and love for other people. But Father, there's a whole another group here that's sitting here, God, and I pray for them because they realize they don't have purpose. They don't wake up every morning ready to do something, ready to start that initial desire and that impassioned movement for you. But Father, there's one other group I want to pray for right now, and that's the group that right now is feeling so separated from you because they never ever thought that you died for them. Or maybe God, they've walked so far away from that initial understanding that they need to come back. They need to come back and embrace the God of the universe who said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And right now you're sitting with arms open wide. You're ready to embrace them again. You're ready to bring them back close. All they have to do is say yes and come back to that place of initial love. I want to pray for everyone right now, God. I want to pray that they'll leave this room tonight on fire to be devoted followers of you, to stand up in this community that we call the church and to change the world. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move. With every head bowed, guys, right now, I simply want to ask this question. If you know tonight that you're not close to God and you know he's calling to you and and you want to respond to him, If you know tonight that maybe you have been close to God but you've been walking away from him and tonight you want to come back, I'm going to ask that in this next few moments you say yes to him. And I'm going to pray a prayer where you begin this journey either for the first time or again. And God is going to come inside of you and fill you and give you the passion that you couldn't have imagined. He's going to give you a new life because he died on a cross so that you could have it. But I want to know right now who I'm praying with. I want to know right now who who's God's tugging at. This is your moment and God's moving in your heart. So if you're willing to pray that prayer with me, just whisper these words to Him. Be honest. Say, Jesus Christ, Son of God. I admit right now that I have some failures in my life. I've got some hurts and pains, but I admit most of all that I just haven't been giving you everything, God. I've never completely given you my life. And so I accept tonight that you died on a cross for me. And I accept tonight that you rose again and that you're in heaven and that you reached down in love for me. And I commit everything that I am to you, my heart and my soul and my mind, I want to stand up and give everything I can to others and to the world in your name, Jesus. And I ask right now that you come inside And that you make me the person you want me to be. And Lord, give me the life that you want me to live. And I pray even as I sit here now, Lord, that you allow me to feel you and to know you and to receive your spirit in amazing ways. Because I today have given my life to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And I say, amen.